it's lights out, and away we go. Welcome to an American's Guide to Formula One. Now let's start the show. All right, and welcome to what is episode three of the podcast. I'm very excited to be joined by a new guest, our first official guest besides my dad, um, my friend Dan. Dan is also a Formula One fan based here in America. We've um, been, it's been one of my rare friends that I know that I can actually from time to time bounce different race results off of and um he's i think almost a bigger fan of the sport than me um knows a lot more about the history of the sport than me so it's i'm really glad to have dan joining us by phone hey dan welcome hey man thanks i'm uh i'm excited to talk about talk about some stuff in monaco i love monaco so yeah i i mean I, th I thought of you in particular because here in denver i remember we there's they they used to and sometimes still do. I they didn't definitely didn't do it this year because of coronavirus and stuff. But they have that um, C Film Center here in Denver that usually does a Monaco event weekend where they show it on the movie theater. And I remember we went once. And so uh, with that, I remember we were also um, texting back and forth via Instagram about qualifying in the race and stuff. And so I thought, man, it'd be lovely to have Dan on for Monaco. So yeah, yeah, definitely. I miss that. I miss uh, those are really cool because Ferrari and uh, I don't know maybe one or two other local dealerships would show up to the show up to the race and it's super early in America. I mean Denver Mountain Time or whatever for Monaco was like five in the morning. Yeah, but people are still drinking martinis and stuff that yeah. early. And Ferrari was doing like giveaways and yeah, the Ferrari a, fan club would come out. I think the last one I went to, I actually won a car deal, like a detail for our car. Oh, I yeah. used it when I sold my last car. So I forget what that shot that was. was. Awesome. Yeah. So let's jump right into it. Monaco 2021, or as I like to call it, the big bummer. Big bummer. I was going to say, like, the biggest, I feel like some of the biggest losers of the entire event were us, the fans. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I was so excited, first of all, to see Ferrari have pace um, from from not having pace for so long. and then, But then, obviously, it was such a bummer. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's get into yeah. it. Um, qualifying, final, you know, Q3, Leclerc posts an amazing 10, uh, 1 minute 10.09 or something. Of, yeah, 0.9. And uh, just then puts it right into the wall, right through, what was it, swimming pool or just after swimming pool? Right in the middle, yeah. Right yeah. Exit. Uh, and, and red flags the red flags the qualifying results. So we were, we, we, were, we were robbed of the last final exciting parts of the most exciting qualifying event of the entire calendar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, everybody said, oh, I was on pace. I was on pace to, to beat Leclerc's time, but you didn't. So, and then there was the whole drama of will he or won't he start the race? And now that we're, you know, days after everybody knows, or I hope some of you are finding out right now, Charles Leclerc didn't start the race because of a drive shaft, was it, I believe? 
something to do with yeah, the, the axle. Rear, rear drive shaft. Yeah, but it was uh, everybody thought it was only one drive shaft. from the crash, but Ferrari was pretty quick to say that they think that it could have been um, something independent of the crash because it was the opposite side of where you hit the wall. Yeah. I don't know whether that is them not wanting to, you know, besmirch the miracle child that is Leclerc or how they view Leclerc at least, but or but regardless, it's a huge bummer because Leclerc has constantly been putting that Ferrari where it doesn't belong and getting results out of it that um that aren't necessarily you wouldn't think are there, and then they finally have an attempt to where they they actually have the car and and we can really see Leclerc do something great and it, it he doesn't even get the chance he doesn't get it past the formation lap yeah um yeah i think it's it's interesting when there's it just makes me think about the fact that there's something like 80,000 individual pieces in those cars and they're at such a high tolerance that i mean even on something on the other side of the car i guess it doesn't surprise me that could happen but Sure. They said they tested it, like, I forget now, what was it, Friday or Saturday, but um, they tested it after the qualifying. I don't know how rigorous the testing is or what they did, but well, so they didn't find any problems, and they felt comfortable putting them out on the track. Yeah. They even said, like, if they if they find anything they thought would compromise the race, like, they're not going to they're not gonna risk it just because he's at the front of the grid, and they sent him out there, and then, yeah. Well, yeah, because... Because we're talking about the risk that they were talking about is, for those of you who don't know, is that he could have changed the gearbox, changed it, which is the main component that engines and gearbox components, if you change them, you get penalties. Oh, well, I guess you would only get a penalty for changing your engine if it's you've passed your allotted number of engines for the year, um, which they clearly wouldn't have been because it's only the fifth race. But and the engine I think was fine anyways. But it was the gearbox that they were concerned about. But it's a five grid spot penalty, which I mean is bad, especially at Monaco, because it's so difficult to overtake. And we'll we'll touch on that a little bit later. But they still would have gotten points. And I mean, they did lose out pretty big at this race for points. I mean, luckily science was there to catch the points that were missing, but I I do believe that they're behind McLaren in the drivers championship or am I wrong on that? Let me just briefly check. You say something. <laughs> yeah. But a five grid spot uh, penalty, I mean you're still starting in fifth. That's still a significant amount of points um to to have gotten. Oh no. Yeah, no, Ferrari is fourth. And it's by two points too. Ferrari is got 78 points in the world championship right now, and McLaren has just 80. So they could have easily kept a lead, which, and McLaren is their main rivals for this year, I believe. Yeah. And has been that way for the last couple of years. So to, to, and then let's briefly check on, talk about the fact that there's this little conspiracy that Leclerc is kind of cursed at Monaco. It is his home, Gris, <laughs> home Grand Prix. He was born there. But if you look into it, he hasn't ever completed a Monaco Grand Prix down down into his, um, the you know GP2 and stuff. Really, he's got DNFs for every race? Yeah. And, yeah, he's never completed a race. That's insane. Wow. And then to not even start it, 
I mean, and especially the one year that you're like actually are the fastest guy, seemingly, and you're in the fastest car for that track. Yeah. So I have I have kind of watched some stuff online looking at why why was Ferrari so fast at Monaco and is this pace going to is this like a a, a thing that's here to stay or was this a one off thing? Do you have any opinions on that before I say? Uh, the question was, uh, do I think Monaco should stay on the calendar? No, no, no. Do you think? Calendar? Do you think? Do you think Ferrari? We'll get to that question because I do want to ask you that. But do you think that Ferrari's pace that they showed at at Monaco is like an upgrade that's here to stay, or was this like a a car mm-hmm. fit for that track, and that's why they had the pace advantage over uh, Mercedes and Red Bull? Even. No, no. I mean, last year they had such a hard time. I mean, even showing up at all. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was hard to watch. Yes. And, I mean, that's probably a discussion for another time, like all the details about yeah. uh, what went into that. But to see them kind of come back a little bit and then actually be in a winning position in this race, it, it really feels like they've, they're they at least starting to come around to fix the problems that they encountered last year, come up with a new way. Um, been watching some, like, technical diagnosis of what's going on with the teams, but I haven't. Super. Yeah, I mean, then they definitely are. The Ferrari. There is a significant in, increase in the power and stuff from last year to this year. I I do think they're much more up front of the midfield, which I mean, spe- I mean, I I bet you the off season was a rough time for Ferrari when Racing Point outscored Ferrari and the the last World Championship. That was that was not good. Ferrari. What was that quote? Is like a, a Ferrari not winning isn't a Ferrari at all. That was like the president. <laughs> or something um and there were all those like great memes last year of like fiat pintos and stuff and like ferrari was like stop sending us this shit (laughs) (laughs) like uh um but yeah it's like fiat pintos with ferraris on them and stuff but um what i what i what i saw from my looking into it is because i was shocked at the pace i didn't expect that but apparently the ferrari is really really good in slow speed corners like better than Mercedes, better than Red Bull even. Um, yeah. Because they're still, they're still down on power. I think it's still something like six or seven or eight mi- uh, kilometers an hour that they're still down from even Red Bull. Um, and Mer- Merck's What does that come down to? I don't know. I think just engine. Like they, they've always, like, we, like you said, they've always struggled during this hybrid era of having power. Or they didn't, but then they were like, what was it, that they were doing something – illegal and they had to like hush hush keep it down and then all of a sudden they stopped doing as well um yeah i don't know if we ever saw there i think a lot of money's changed hands on that and we never really saw the the final outcome of that but they were slow after that and they've been slow and i think but what what it all came down to is that they're super good in low speed corners so and as we know or you should know or I'm telling you now Monaco is a lot of low speed corners it's a lot of turns yeah. and it's tight and that's why there's there's not a lot of overtaking i think the only overtaking that happened well there was uh um Schumacher's pass on Mazaspin during the the chicane or the hairpin the low the whatever that that what's that term i don't know the actual name i should know it's got some french name um, it's like a really tight ha- hairpin turn for all of those who don't know. Literally, the cars are designed for that turn. 
I've been told or I've, I've heard. It's like that and like breaks it. They definitely have to make some adjustments anyway. Yeah. There's a couple like like spa, for instance. There's some quirks on that course where they have to specifically engineer the cars differently. But yeah, I think yeah, it's on Monaco. There's, there's like no other turn where the, you go on full lock yeah. like that. So the lock on most of those. But they have columns. to replace some parts. Yeah, just to even run Monaco, I think is. Yeah. Well, there's definitely. definitely a significant aerodynamic disadvantage, or like there's way more air on the car for Monaco. I mean, there's not a straight. Let's be straight. Like there's the, even the straight, the start finish straight is not a straight, and it's the shortest DRS of all. I think of the whole calendar. Yeah. And then it's like, I mean, it's that's the thing that's really cool about Monaco is that it's like mentally is what I've heard is like it's one of the most demanding tracks mentally because. As we were, we've I've talked about it on this podcast a bit, and it, it's a constant dis- discussion point in the current Formula One zeitgeist or whatever is track limits, and that's what everybody says. The track limits are your crash <laughs> at Monaco. Yeah, there's no tolerance for error. The track limits are a wall, and I think that's always yeah. been that level of excitement for that race. Is like, oh my god, this is like this is intense. Like it's a street. I mean, street courses are always kind of that way because it's not a perfectly groomed, um, racing circuit, but, but it's, it's narrow. Like that's an old city. And it's an interesting point. Like, uh, I was watching a short little thing on YouTube where, uh, Valtteri was talking about just how much mental capacity gets put into just getting around the track. And there's really, there's no room to rest at all for, I mean, the entire race. So a couple of hours, that's yeah. Driving an F one car is already, you know, super physically and mentally demanding, but making all of the changes and communicating with your team and thinking about strategy and thinking about your tires and you know, breaking distance and breaking points and the fact that your car is literally millimeters away from the wall at any given point. There was a <laughs> one of the I guess the cuts from like the race radio was Mazepin's uh team trying to tell him to adjust like one thing and it was just like it was too much for him to handle yeah i i watched the shout out behind the grid um interview with yuki sonoda this last week which was awesome to hear him speak at length a little bit more but he he said yeah he's still he's still coming to grips with everything that you can change on the formula one cars from you know brake biases to differential settings and whatnot and he's like yeah i i he's like it's so scary and that was, the, I mean, his, 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 that was the first time he had ever driven Monaco that wasn't a simulator or a video game, he said, yeah. was that, that, this last event. And I was like, I cannot imagine showing up to that, that being the first time. And the first time you ever do it is in a Formula One car. That's insane. Like, I mean, a lot of those guys at least get GP3, GP2, you know, different, you know, a lot. I mean, what is it? 10 of the 20 drivers live there. You know, so they drive that circuit all the time, basically. And yeah. and then you just got to show up and just be like, okay, now you're going to do it the fastest any four-wheel thing can go. So, good luck. <laughs> it must be a shock. I mean, really a shock to the system. I mean, even somebody like Hamilton struggling the way that he did. Well, yeah, let's talk. I mean, okay, let's, over the let's, weekend says let's a lot. get into the race because you you brought up two two things, two people I already want to talk about. Like, the big theme that I want to talk about is is – 
Well, let's start with the losers. Who were the losers? Because we basically already said who they were. I mean, yeah. Merck, when Merck flops, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they're seven-time world champions. They're one of the most effectively winning sporting franchises, period. Um, but when they mess up, man, do they mess up. It's like it's like they save all of their mistakes and then dip, and then give them all out at once in like one race, which I guess is better than like a lot, but yeah. I, I mean Hamilton lost out, but I think Hamilton lost out because of Hamilton, not because of anything else. I mean, I guess there's some strategy, there was some strategy flunders there and he's like, "Oh, my engineers and blah 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 blah," but like you were only in that position to lose out to strategy because you didn't put in a good quality lap. Yeah. And I think... I mean, it's a mental game, yeah. for sure. It kind of it kind of seemed like the mental game got the best of Hamilton that week, just hearing the way that he talks to his engineers, like, I can't do this, and he kind of does that sometimes and overcomes, but... It seems, though, that, too, that when that does happen, and I remember this even from the Rosberg years, is that, I mean... uh when the car doesn't seem to be balanced right or there's something off or he's having there, I think there was a little bit of like, uh-oh, we're not going to be great this weekend and I don't know. And it's one of two things happens with Hamilton. It's like, you're not going to do very good. Like, you spin out or crash and whatever. And he's like, watch, <laughs> you know? And he comes from like last place to the podium or something like that. Yeah. Laps Valtteri, you know, like crazy things like that. Or he just doesn't do well. And then it seems like in those weekends, what's kind of crazy, and I remember this from Rosberg too, is that when, when Hamilton has an off week, it was it always seems like whatever it is that he doesn't like, Hamilton or Botas seem to not struggle. It's bad, and I mean, just if you're if we're looking at qualifying, I mean, Hamilton didn't even get into the one tens, and Valtteri, mm. you know, his his Lewis Lewis's qualifying lap was one eleven one. And Valtteri's was his best lap. His third place was one ten six. Um, so it's not. I mean, that's the very that's a tolerances. But I mean, the first, the first four positions were all. There's only five tenths of a second between the first four cars. <laughs> that's that's crazy yeah. to me. First of all, but Hamilton did. I mean, he just didn't have a good qualifying, and so he was stuck behind. And he was in the traffic, and yeah, I think Mercedes really dropped the ball strategically there because Hamilton was saying he could push that stint longer, um, and to come back out and be to lose positions. I mean, he started, twice. yeah, twice. <laughs> I remember that radio. It was like, it's like, how am I behind well, Gasly still? And they're like, uh, just to you're about to be behind Perez too, <laughs> like. Um, I mean, even yeah, Fettel got him on the overcut. Which was did you? I think it was an overcut. That was wild for me to see. Yeah, I was so. I think every Formula One fan watching the Sky the Sky Sports coverage of that, it's like the one part of that two-hour race that we actually wanted to see, and they never showed it. They never showed Vettel coming back out of the pits in that battle up into what? What is that? Sandovat. Um. But I, I did post it on the – this is why you should follow the uh, An American's Guide to Formula One on both for, uh, Instagram and TikTok because I did post that battle. And, man, was that awesome to see because you, yeah. you rarely see those wheel-to-wheel actions at um, 
at Monaco, but I mean, Vettel and Gasly are going like wheel to wheel all the way through Sandoval. It was crazy. Um, but it's like they kept, they kept they kept cutting away, and I was like, I, Martin Brundle, I thought was about to like swear on broadcast television. <laughs> he was, um, but yeah, Hamilton starts. He started seven. Started, started seventh, qualified seventh, and then he finished seventh. And that to me was crazy. I mean, yeah. even in Monaco, even I mean, people. And, I mean, Monaco is hard to. It's hard to pass, but some real miracles can happen at Monaco, especially in qualifying. But yeah, it is it is really bizarre for me to see Hamilton qualify there and stay there. And I think we had a really uneventful race. I mean, I mean, a lot of them have been uneventful race, but we didn't have a safety car, which was crazy. Because I think that to me is an event in itself. Yeah, to be I mean. Because I've seen one, I think the year we went, some guy rolled, they like flipped a car on its side right before the tunnel. And they, and they read, the last couple, there's been red flags even at the last couple Monaco's. And you get another start, which is always exciting. And then to not have any of that and to like see, you know, all of the fights that I wanted to see, all of the battles that I wanted to see. I really wanted to see Leclerc and Max go wheel to wheel. Never seen that, really. That wasn't for like some, you know, like, third or fourth place, but for, like, actual points. Um, <laughs> to see, um, you know, Botas up in there again, like, looking good. So that brings me to the to the next big bummer, the big loser, is and why Mercedes lost, really lost out in this race. And we had some big swaps in the championship for the first time because Botas's wheel. Like, what, what, like, can you imagine, like, I, I swear to God, if Botas didn't have bad luck, he would have no luck at all. I think they they were reco- yeah. they were recounting in the last like eighty some races, eighty seven or eighty eight races, Hamilton's only DNF'd once, and Botas has had two DNFs that were not his fault at all this season alone. We're five races in; he's already had two DNFs, and it's like. Everybody like loves to throw shade at Botas and like you know oh you're just this number two but I mean when has he ever had the luck if he had the luck that Hamilton had I don't I do think he gets in his head and there's some mental games that he he loses out to on this but I mean j- how is he not doing yeah. worse with the luck he has I mean how do you overcome something like that you're in you're in second place. You're going to gain some huge points. You know your teammate's going to be down and out of the points for a little bit, and you come into pit, and they can't get the wheel off. I saw a cl- I saw a clip of him, like, throwing his gloves, which is, you know, characteristics you don't normally see of him. He's usually quite a reserved guy, but I would be throwing a lot yeah, of my gloves, man. <laughs> I mean, he had a couple, I mean, a couple misses. He didn't get a chance to really finish, you know, Q3. Yeah. They were saying he was on pace to, I mean, possibly qualify, you know. Man, I wanted that. I I mean, I I loved seeing Leclerc. I I literally wanted anybody but Hamilton or Max to get pole, genuinely. I could have cared less. Yeah. Um, Some variation. I mean, well, we did get that. We did finally get a different, what was it? They set Max, Botas, and Hamilton have set the record for the most consistent podium group in the history of the sport. This this last you know whatever, and so I mean thank God we at least had a different result than what we were expecting. But it, I I want to see it. I want to see it on battles. I want to see it on you know like, um, 
on merit, things that happen in the race. I hate I hate when people lose out to stuff they can't help. Like Valtteri could not help getting crashed into by Russell at Imola, and he definitely could not help. I mean, even the I mean, I they're still they're still out. I've seen different videos on what happened with that front wheel. They they say that it could have been that the 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 jackman or the or the the actual gunman of the wheel didn't line up the the teeth right, and it and it basically just rounded out to the point where he couldn't get it off. And it basically, those things are so powerful that it basically heated the metal up and machine like machined it clean to the to the axle. But then I did see uh, the there's video. So like, many factors that can come down to. I mean, on the track and like even down to like the driver's like style. Yeah. You know, just the way that it can impact even little parts on the car is amazing. But there's so many different things that can come down to. Yeah, but I mean, to to lose out like that when it's not your fault and you can't control anything, like, yeah. and then you have to keep a mental game up. I mean, because that's a huge blow. Because both Hamilton lost the lead because of that race to to uh, to Max. Max, congratulations, Max, leading a world champion for the first time in his career. Um, Hamilton's out is in second place. Botas is relegated to fourth after that. Norris moves into third in the world championship. Uh, and Red Bull jumps Mercedes in the constructor championship as well. And it's like all down to like blowing strategy and blowing and then not having that and then that wheel nut. I mean, that's just crazy. But it's why, yeah. I mean, I mean, it is the sport. It's the details of the sport. It's the little things that win you world championships. It's That's being, the thing, yeah. I mean, I was saying, like, there's so many different things, but motorsport, I think, really more than any other sport I can think of is such a cruel mistress and the way that the way that luck and chance and just the way that things go play out with motorsport is, it can be so wild, so. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it, it's just, it's just, it's definitely, it, it, it wouldn't be as weird to see it if, like, um, AlphaTauri or, um, you know, Haas Williams that it happened to them like oh my god they're not you know they're not investing yeah. but McLaren or Mercedes invest 300 million euros into that car you like you telling me like they're not irate when a wheel doesn't come off and it costs them the lead of the of the world championship yeah yeah that's a big deal or Hamilton you, I mean imagine the, the frustration you would have that you are now down in your record you're going for the record of most consecutive most world champions in the sport you're like trying to cement yourself as the greatest driver of all time and your strategy is blown i mean imagine the profanity that i would be exhibiting if that was if i saw if i came out and i saw i saw three people that started behind me now in front of me are you kidding me i would be losing it um kudos to him that he I mean, he was upset, visit like clearly, but I would be, I would, I would be losing money for fines or something. There's got to be fines for how many swear words you can say on national television. How about Ricardo, how did that, uh, how did that strike you? Uh, I mean, I with mean, the season uh, he's had so far, for one, and kind of the maybe I, even the past couple of years and then yeah, the results I mean, that he got there, uh, you know, it being a good track for him, you know. Yeah, and he he does like it, and In I think. Past. I saw I saw a thing with him and he's like he's like it's already in my rearview mirror like you just have to let these kind of things go. I just Ricardo is one of those drivers that like I've always liked. I feel like everybody has like how can you not? But like he's he's definitely 
one of my favorite drivers. I would have to say, like, I mean, I've made no secrets about it on this podcast, but um, Botas is my favorite driver. I've loved him f- ever since he was at Williams. Um, then I really, really have always liked Ricardo, and I feel like Ricardo is one of those people who's, you know, that curse of that second seat, first seat for a little bit while he was there. But um, of Red Bull, I think he got shafted it while he was at Red Bull. Um, and I, I was so stoked to see him doing well at the end there for Renault. I was, I, well, I was stoked that Renault was doing well and I was stoked that he was doing well and starting to look fast again. And then when he, when he, when they announced that he was moving to McLaren, I was like, oh yes, man. Cause McLaren was ca- starting to come on with so much speed. And then I guess it's just really coming down to relearning. They, I, I mean, I've looked into this a little bit that like it's it's an insight to how different a car can be you know like i i haven't had a lot of opportunities to drive cars but every car you get into is slightly different and then when you put that car you know you you push it out to the limits like a formula one car those differences are highlighted more and more and more and it's not just like oh i get into a car and i'm the same driver and i can do the same things like different cars have different capabilities different cars are more effective at certain things and there's a, a pretty big learning curve that it takes to, to come to grips with that car or change the car to that driver to suit that driver's style. I mean, we saw it with yeah. Vettel at Ferrari. It just never happened. I mean, he did get a win and stuff and like he, but he was never that, that dominant. Like when he was at Robo, man, I mean, he looked like a machine. He was so dominant and then goes <laughs> to Ferrari and falls apart. And then he's now at, Aston Martin and he's still just that's a bummer and we can get onto that later but like but then I did hear something that like I mean he, he is working really hard to get there and um th- but they did say that it took him about six months to come to terms with the Renault anyways so maybe it's just yeah. I'm hoping that we're still in that learning curve because I I don't want to see I hate seeing like f- good drivers just fizzle out you know like it is kind of a bummer um, to see Kimmy, you know, where he is, but then you hear him and he's like, I don't care. This is just a hobby for me. You know, like what else am I going to do? You know? And as long as he can still do it, I mean, why not be one of the 20 best drivers in the world? But, um, yeah, he's still scoring points from time to time. And yeah, I mean, pretty much a back marker. Not, not this race. It's the one rare time where we saw a lot of Giovinazzi. For Al, or for um, Alfa Romero, but I I want to see Hamilton do well. And man, what a gut punch when your your younger teammate laps you. I mean that. How do Ricardo? Yeah, yeah. How do you not feel for a guy in that scenario? And then Lando, that little dick, waves at him while he does it too. Oh, yeah. When I saw that, I was like, that pissed me off, man. That was like I that, but I mean it's I hope I hope that just fuels it, you know. I hope that just fuels it that he's like, oh, you little shit, <laughs> like you, you can wave at me. Um, but I, I mean, it's hard to speculate like what could be going on, but one thing that stood out to me is realizing that they really they don't get much of a chance to just drive around in that car. It's like off time, like they have a couple of free practice sessions and then nothing in between, and then you're driving one of the most legit cars in the world around 
yeah. maybe the hardest track in the world. I mean, it, it is it is crazy because, and it's like, well, why, you know, someone in the audience might be saying, well, why don't they get more time to drive the cars? Because the tolerances that they're they're dealing with, I mean, any mileage on the car is mileage on the car. And when these things are operating at the literal peaks of, of physical performance, you want to limit the amount of miles that you put on that car as much as possible. Because that stress, that strain, that's wear, and, I mean, the season is long, and they only have a finite yeah. amount of equipment that they can go through before they start taking penalties. And so yeah. you don't you don't want to run the risk of of also a driver putting it into the wall. I mean, how many crashes did we see in practice, you know, and qualifying? And, I mean, those are expensive parts. <laughs> I mean, they, they just oh, they're winning, they're winning full front suspension, and they're going to rebuild that in twenty four hours, you know. And it's like, it's like, oh, that's just a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know, no big deal. But a lot of pressure. Yeah. yeah, and so you do only have these limited windows that you do even get to come to grips with a new car. So that's it does take time. I mean, I think the one thing that we can look at is science is a, is great at it. Apparently, he's been at like what four different teams in the last six years. And 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 puts in pretty yeah. consistent results. I mean, he saved Ferrari. This you know, he he that was a huge result for Ferrari. So let's come on. Let's get back to our thanks for. I mean, man, it's so easy to go into like um, side tangents. But so we covered the big losers. The biggest loser, I think, was Formula One fans because we were robbed of 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 great battles and cool, interesting you know, seeing new people leading a race. Um, and then, but let's, let's come on to the winners. Cause there were, there were some like people who did, had some great results here. Um, Red Bull, obviously we've kind of briefly touched on that jumping. Yeah. Over, Max. Yeah. His first win at Monaco. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's an amazing accomplishment. Not to mention his first, his first ever lead of a world championship. Granted, it's only, um, let's see how many points, something like, it's four points, but it's still four points ahead of one of the greatest drivers of all time. I would, yeah, that's amazing. Red Bull is ahead in constructors, which is the first time we've had uh, someone leading the constructors other than Mercedes for the last, like, seven years. Yeah, they've been kind of putting all their eggs in the max basket for a long time now, and it feels like it's starting to come together a little bit. Well, and I think maybe that's also coming down to, like, Perez. And Perez being that, I mean, he hasn't. He's had some rough races, you know, especially, uh, you know, Imola comes to mind. He had a lot of errors at Imola. <laughs> but but he is doing, he is up there, you know. He's there getting those points that he should be. And, like, where Lando has been kind of being that third guy and hopefully, like, Perez is starting to sh- come on and show that pace and, like, really be that catch-all of the points that fall behind Botas when Botas DNFs because he's the most unlucky guy on the grid or crashes or whatever. I mean, Perez is is coming to grips with that Red Bull pretty quickly, I think, and doing doing a really good job. Um, and, then, and then, man. Yeah, Checo, I think, has always been a pretty consistent driver. I mean, when, yeah. he, when he got the seat at Red Bull, it's, it's that pretty well with me, I guess. I think I think I, I, I think with almost every I couldn't imagine like Perez not being on the grid. 
Like I was yeah. when I when they, I was like, how do you let somebody? I mean, a I was so glad that he won at Bahrain, finally got that win. But then how how could somebody a, a Grand Prix winner not have a drive for the next season? Like how 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 could you be a team principal unless you were locked yeah, into a contract and not put Perez on your team? And it's I, a wild story. What yeah. happened to him right at the end of last year, man? That's so kind cool. of a Cinderella situation. Yeah, so cool. And he's really, a, I mean, he's a, kind of a force of nature when you think about all of the sponsorship money behind him. And yeah. Well, his dad helps with that, you know. He that's is such a good driver. Science, the science name in motorsport, like, it, it gets ears to listen. Oh, I was talking about Checo. Oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry, you're right. My bad. But he does, yeah, he does come with quite a bit of, Quite a bit of dollars behind him. Um, I, man, my brain just farted. Sorry, everybody. Fine, um, too. I mean, yeah, to see him do so well and a new car and a new team. And, you know, it's he, I uh, would say he was like struggling at the beginning of the year, but you want you want somebody to do well at Ferrari. And he's he's a good kid and he's young and, you know, he's part of the dynasty. And Yeah. And then, and then, Man, my my one of my again top three drivers I, I really love to watch is Norris, and get that podium. Yeah. I mean he's had two podiums killing it this, this year, man. year. He has three podiums in his career, and two of them are this year already. So I mean, really, not that long ago, McLaren was really struggling. It was, you know, what I mean, and probably I mean equally not long before that they were, you know. Doing really well, but yeah, I remember when Hamilton left McLaren. Spectacular. When when Hamilton left McLaren at the beginning of the hybrid era to go to Mercedes, I remember everybody being like, "It was like that record screech." They're like, "You're doing what? To go where?" Because Hamilton, I mean, McLaren is like one of one of the most winning teams in Formula One, even though they're one of the younger teams in the history of the sport. But they have accumulated quite a good number of of championship wins and uh to and then mercedes before that was really not doing well they were basically you know mid to backpack of the midfield and so you have this young hot driver world champion or almost almost i don't think he ever won a world championship with mclaren did he or did he win one Hamilton won. He won. Yeah. He won one, yeah. And so you have a, and then to go to a team that had never won a world championship. Almost two. Yeah. One point away from two. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then to leave Check that work. and go to Mercedes, I mean, who was a, a back midfield runner at best. I think they had had two podiums to that point, you know, like everybody was like, has he gone crazy? And then look at it. I mean, obviously they he knew what was coming, but props to Nikki Lauda for I mean pursuing Hamilton through that whole thing and showing them what they had going on Brackley and totally. their whole plan for the hybrid era. I mean, yeah. good lord. And props to Schumacher. I think I've, I've a lot has come out about him really going back, coming back to the sport, and kind of realizing that he was never going to have a comeback in the sense of him witnessing it. And being a part of the driving it, but like apparently so much of that mentality that has led to the dominance of of Mercedes in the sport comes from uh, comes from Schumacher and his his like no everything matters every little detail every person who is on this team whether they're a trainer or a strategist or a 
a caterer or whatever, they're a part of this team, and we win as a team, we lose as a team, and everything matters. And I think that that's really showed and, and why they've been so dominant um, is that it's just they're a machine. But but then that's but they're also human. Think about, yeah. But they're also humans, and you see that. And they when they mess up, like we said, they mess up like other humans. But it's just it's just the tolerance I think at that at that organization is much less. And I want to talk about I want to talk about Settle and uh, even just strolling Aston Martin. I that you you took the, the words right out of my, you, that, that was literally my next point. Is like talk about big winners. Talk about finally seeing like a little bit of something to have hopes for because man, when I've loved racing, I mean, all the way back to uh, when they were Force India, I thought, man, they've always been this scrappy little team that punches above their their pay their 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 investment money and 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 gets results. Their absolute lack of money, yeah. Yeah, and then, oh, man, last season they were just so fast and so good. I know they were basically Mercedes, but whatever. They, you know, rules were rules, and they didn't break any. And just because nobody else did something and they did doesn't mean that it, it isn't any less valid. And they were so fast. And then you and then you hear in the offseason that Aston Martin, which is such a cool company and such cool cars. I've always liked Aston Martins. I was like, man, finally, like a cool big name brand sponsor for a cool team that I've always kind of liked. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. This is going to be amazing. And then I'm excited for that to come together. Yeah, and then and I feel like this was that first the first result where we actually saw it come together. Um, and because yeah, I, they they scored. Let's see, let me get to my notes. Definitely. Here. Um, Vettel started eighth slash seventh after Leclerc didn't start and they didn't fill that. Um, yeah. and then he ended up fifth, and then Stroll was thirteen slash twelve, and he ended eighth. And they had a total points haul of 14 points. And up into that, so they, they scored 14 points in one race. And the four previous races, they had scored five points. So that was a, a huge result for that team. And besides Red Bull, they were the only team that had two drivers in the top 10. That's awesome. And, and they jumped uh, they jumped AlphaTauri in the constructors' um, uh standings with that with those results too it is really interesting to me i mean they've been in this like high rake controversy yeah you know so in depth this whole season and really recently it seems like they they just dropped it and well to some degree and uh, everything they had going with the fia and maybe made it not their total focus and yeah. kind of started to focus more on what's going on with the team and the races and then to have this result very soon after that was I mean, Fettel getting driver of the day. Yeah, I mean, he deserves as it. well. He deserves that was spectacular. <laughs> that that overcut, honestly. Both times, both drivers. <laughs> I think it was an overcut. Yeah. Pass up Hamilton and Gasly right there. I, that was really, honestly, I think the highlight of the race for me. And I think they, yeah, I mean, in that and in that battle that he doesn't that he, he to to keep that position under actual threat, coming out of the pits and going into Santa Bot, that was some of the best wheel to wheel driving we've seen this season period yeah and uh and so he yeah, that he run off of Ravage, yeah yeah buff, buff, um Ravage, thank you um he definitely deserved driver of the day and i think i think if there was a constructor of the day or team of the day aston martin would have won it hands down 
I think I think the Perez overcut was was a bigger jump, and you know, and it got into more points. But they did it with two drivers. You know, they got it right twice. Um, I mean, I guess Max had a great result, but that was just because of Max. That wasn't because of any strategy. You know, strategic thing that the team did. They just didn't. They all they had to do was not mess up. Um, and he didn't really have anybody really pressuring him either. Um, and Perez really put, put in pace too. Like he really, at the end, he closed down the gap from like nine to like four seconds or something. He was, he was moving. Um, but yeah, that was, that was really awesome to see, see them get that many points, see them jump up, see like some pace back in the car. And I hope, I hope we can see that more, um, I mean, Baku ahead, you know, Azerbaijan, as it is a street circuit as well, but there is also, like, the longest straight on the entire calendar. Yeah. So I think we're going to see... Power circuit. Yeah, we're definitely going to see a different outcome um, than we saw. I mean, for those, for those reasons alone, I mean, I really thought this was a great race. Um, it seemed like during the majority, kind of honestly thinking that this was, like, the fans lost out on this race, but... I wouldn't say it's, I mean, we've had a couple of really great races in like Bahrain, for instance, in the past couple of years. And those races, you know, they stand out as spectacular and you think about them. But I really thought Monaco was a really exciting race this year for maybe not very obvious reasons or because we had, we had, we had such a strange podium, not strange, but just a very uncommon podium. And we had teams like Aston Martin. Um, midfield teams that outscored Mercedes, and yeah, I mean, Gasly yeah. and Hamilton have it out, and yeah, it is pretty. I mean, just insane. the fact that we've been talking for an hour at this point about <laughs> all the minutia of just the race, I mean, there's really something going on this weekend. Well, but okay, I'll challenge you on that because th- this brings me to the, the, the greater point that I, w- I wanted to close with, anyways, is I, I think that. All of the most of the interesting things that happened in the race weren't actually on track. They were in the pits. They, all of the overtaking that was done was done on strategy and overtake in the pits. Um, and the most interesting thing is, and, and I think is always the case, not always, but oftentimes, is qualifying. And usually, yeah. unless of a unless there's a crash that takes or a complication like Leclerc's where the car can't start usually the, the, the positions that you qualify in are the positions you finish the race in. Unless you have a great strategy like, like Aston Martin did and you can make some jumps in the pits. That's the meme anyway, for sure. I mean, even like uh, I was texting a friend probably Saturday night. I was just like, all right, like I can, uh, I can just go to bed now. I know what the race result is going to be after qualifying. Precisely. And I, I was listening to a podcast that I really like. Um, it's called Behind the Glass. Um, shout out to Behind the Glass, you guys rock. And I was listening to their race recap that they did, and they, they posed the question, and I'm going to steal that idea and pose it to you now, is, is um, and I mean, this is this kind of gets, I feel like it does kind of get battered around a little bit, but does Monaco belong on the current Formula One calendar? Like, why do we still, yeah. because you, you have to think that if, like if they proposed it that idea now, like if there wasn't a Monaco Grand Prix from all the way back in the fifties, would that would that yeah. be allowed to happen? Would they really let some such a small circuit, such a tight, twisty, processional race, 
go. I mean, we're already looking at trying to change all of the regulations and we added DRS and we added all these things to increase the opportunities for overtakes because the sport in itself was already becoming so processional and so boring. Like, let's be honest. Like I, I do feel that way about, about Monaco. Like you said, you know, okay, I know how the race is going to go unless something exciting happens, but the excitement doesn't come from on track battles. It comes from, I mean, I guess, well, there was that when, when Ricardo won and he was fighting off, but, but it just shows that as long as you save up your battery and you can, can deploy it at the right times, the cars are just so big now. They're so wide. Sure. They're so long and they have so much downforce that getting you, what did they say? You needed a three second a lap advantage to make an overtake viable at Monaco. And it's just like, what? And w- and what did I say? The first there's not there's not even a there's not even a two second advantage down to tenth. You know, there. I wish they would just bring even refueling back. I don't know if you remember this, but back in the days when we had refueling, yeah, one or you know even a couple times a race, like there was a there's a genuine drop off in entertainment, like strategy, okay. entertainment specifically after totally. they cut out refueling. Totally. So here's my question then. Does it belong – should Monaco stay on the calendar? Yes or no? Yeah. yeah. I, could, I could go a couple different directions with that. I mean, even like speaking existentially with the way that the, way that the world culture and Hamilton's little – he's more outspoken, I think, than other drivers talking about the influence that Formula One can have. And, yeah. Um, you know, politically and culturally and economically and um, – even with things like equality in the world. And I guess I'm mentioning that in the context of Monaco because Monaco is really like this. It's like the gem of the whole like uh, playboy scene, the formula one, you know what I mean? Totally. And I think that, I mean, so let me get a clear and answer. Maybe you. It, Do you think it belongs on the calendar yeah. or no? Absolutely. Like if it were up to me, it's like, it would be like replacing Christmas. Sure. Or replacing like the Super Bowl in American sports, like there's yeah. really there's just nothing that I, would replace. I don't it. know if I'd call it the Super Bowl. I would maybe say, I mean, I'm not it's a so Formula One fan. I'm not. It's a, probably not like a. It's like the All Star Game not like or something exact. like that to me, because it's like you most drivers they say it's like okay, you want to win the world champion, the world championship, but since there's not a single, usually a singular event that decides that, for sure, everybody else says. It's like you win the world championship, and then the next best thing you can do is win Monaco. And it's part it, of the Triple Crown, though, yeah. Yeah. Between Monaco, Le Mans, and the uh, Indy 500. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the biggest sporting events, and and everybody loves that it, and said. I love it. But it, it does – it's not in, – in most recent – especially in recent years – I mean, you're not seeing the, the 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 things of old that we saw, where you know Senna's holding off people for lap after lap after lap because they've changed the regulations and you can't block that aggressively anymore. And I mean, so many things have changed. And it, but it's like, are we keeping this on the calendar just because it is because we've always done it and it is that and it has all this history and it has um, all of that. And I and I think you you can't discredit that and i mean i would i would think that it i personally will agree with you and say it it can't leave the calendar there's no way it will i mean i think it's an institution it's like it is an interesting thought to me to think about like if it wasn't 
one of the oldest Grand Prix courses and and such an institution already, would we enter it into the calendar? Um, I, think, I think the answer would be 100% no. Because they'd be like, they'd, uh, you'd look at that. The variety? I mean, you would look at it and you'd go, there's like, never going to be an overtake. There are going to be a ton of crashes. I mean, if you proposed yeah. a circuit that dangerous right now, Every because like any like because they're you know they're trying to get the whole uh, sprint race passed for qualifying. They're going to do those three sprint race. Look out for a future episode on that. But the they they say that any change like that has to be unanimously voted on by the by the drivers or the by the teams and drivers. And that's one reason why I think Monaco will never leave. But it's also why something like that would never come again. Is because I like it as a chorus. I really do. No, I think it's amazing, and I also think, and this was going to be one of my other, but I, I would think just from like a a financial and risk versus reward analysis of that, you'd be like, okay, like like we said earlier in the episode, how many crashes did you see in free practice? How much money was that wasted? How much potential loss of a driver or an in, to an injury or whatever there is, and then wear and tear, and I think finding a city that would 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 be willing to fund the you know the the cost of turning their their racetrack you, you know their city into a racetrack and shutting down the roads and blah 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 I mean there's something interesting to look at because wasn't it rumored that uh, Miami here in the US is going to get a street circuit so we can like maybe compare that at some point but you look at the newer additions to the racing calendar that are street circuits it is like Baku is the the most recent one I'm pretty sure and it's like it is nothing like Monaco. It's huge. It's one of the it's one of the biggest fastest yeah. tracks on the calendar. And they because they want to create more of those opportunities for overtaking and high high action wheel to wheel racing while also still being safe to the drivers. And so I, I could talk about this forever. I, I think like the the risk even the risk and reward part of Monaco is a huge huge so, addition to the sport and so, to like every team. Yeah, so if we're not going to get rid of it, which we've both established that, A, we would want to see, do you think there's a way that we can make it, uh, if it is already this jewel in the motorsport world, if it already does hold a higher weight than other races, um, is there a way to even accentuate that even more? And why don't we just say, okay, um, I mean, what what could we do? Could they change the the circuit? Could they, like you said, add a different component of bringing back refueling or changing the the setups to the car that make them maybe even racing a completely different car? Like you, I mean, we we touched on it earlier in in the episode as well that like we already design certain components of the racetrack for the tracks that we have on the calendar. What if we had a bespoke car for Monaco? that didn't have as much downforce, didn't, you know, created more of an opportunity for the overtakes and on-track battles that we'd like to see? Like, what what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Bicycles. Huh? Bicycle race, all the drivers. Oh, bicycle. Yeah. I think Paul on that behind the glass, he said, make get put them in go-karts. Like, they qualify in Formula yeah. 1 cars, but then the race is go-karts. <laughs> I don't know. It's an interesting, an interesting question because um, – Times have changed, obviously. I mean, even in the last 10 years with internet culture, I feel like younger fans and even American fans and people that are new to the sport are experiencing the sport or want to experience the sport in a different way. I think that's maybe why you see teams like McLaren doing a lot of, like, 
behind the scenes like type stuff so you have way more of a relationship with the drivers like feeling like that and even over covid times i feel like a lot of um a lot of fans had more of a chance to become like participants of things going on behind the scenes um i'm specifically thinking about mclaren but yeah so i mean i could come at it from that perspective maybe there's different ways but um racing specifically i want to be bold and say bring back refueling because i've always i've felt that way um I mean, it introduces it introduces like new strategy options. You know, you're in the pit more, to be honest, yeah. and well, things well, become mean, more dramatic, and it, you it, remove it, the liability of like saving fuel is another thing, which I mean, that's, is maybe an interesting component to some people. But I think, I mean, if you look at the year that they changed that regulation, it immediately became boring. Well, but I mean, you drive around. They're not going to change fuel. that. I, I would love them yeah. to bring that back, but with with the with the with all the regulations, I mean that's the, then if that was the case too, then we would still have V tens, V twelves, V eights. But I mean that's the constant scrutiny that this sport is always under with the ever changing environmental impact of such the sport that Formula One is. I mean, there's no way around it. It is a huge. There's a huge environmental impact with moving that giant circus around the world, and then the fact that those cars are just burning fuel. So, may, but maybe with this synthetic fuel, and I mean, we haven't—I haven't really brought it up on this podcast—but there are a lot of, you know, former F1 people and smart brains. You know, Porsche is investing in it as well. But like a synthetic fuel that then we could—that would be awesome if we could bring back refueling. We could bring back bigger, bigger engines, higher, higher capacity yeah. engines, better sounding engines. Um, doing it in WEC. Yeah, I mean, it would that would be a really cool thing. I don't know. I've never been to Monaco. I would love to go to a Monaco Grand Prix. I'd love to go to Monaco. Period. But I don't know if or how or I mean that would almost be as sacrilegious as as removing it from the calendar. But adding something to like changing the layout of the track that would encourage more overtakes, like getting a bigger overtake run opportunity. I think on the Behind the Glass podcast, they talked about that there had been some discussions in the past about adding like a an island out into the marina or something that would create the a longer straight coming out of the tunnel or something. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I, I think the course is, so interesting. I know that there's, I mean, there's the problem where people either feel like they can't overtake or genuinely can't overtake. Like if you look at how big the cars have become and for some comparison, I guess, I guess there, from experience, I was in Monza a yeah. couple of years ago. Yeah. And seeing them up close, man, I mean, they look like buses or but they're pretty big. But yeah. I mean, if you look at like an overhead from even what they were in like 2008, they're yeah. pretty giant. Yeah. They're three meters wide. And, and, and I don't, or, truthfully, I don't understand why they have to be so big. I think, I mean, it's, it's, cre- I think it is because it's, they're trying to create more and more aerodynamic space. And then, you know, and then I think they got wider as well because of the, the tire changes when they increased the mechanical sense. grip of the tires. But if you look at also what Red Bull was able to do in like 2010 with Aero, sure. um, it was just unbelievable. And I think we'll see some of that tightening of the pack in 2022 when the regulation spending caps and weight increases and stuff all come again, future episode on those full 2020, 2022 regulations. But the other thing, and we're getting long. So, but I just, this is too interesting is, um, 
one of the things that, that Sam brought up on his podcast um, was if the race is so processional anyways and qualifying is where all the action is, maybe make the qualifying event just the event. <laughs> you know, do something like they do in Indy yeah. or where you have more you – know, it's not just one final qualifying session, but it's it's an average qualifying like you have – you know your your top five fastest laps are the average, and then, um, and there's different. Maybe make the points a little bit different then, or I don't know. I think I think there is options that could change that because I do think that if there's ever I I enjoy watching qualifying because it is the insight to like we really see the actual pace of the car. But if there's ever a more exciting, there's never a more exciting qualifying than Monaco. I don't think ever. I think it is one of the most exciting racing events. I think usually, definitely in the last couple of years, it's more exciting than the race. Um, and the other reason why I wouldn't want to see the track change too much is because that tight, twisty nature of that course really accentuates how fast those cars are and how much work goes into driving them. Yeah. And I don't think you get too many other, um, <laughs> you know, like because when you look at a big, wide, open racing circuit and you see a car going about it really fast on TV, you kind of lose yeah. some of the, your brain loses some of the, the the relativity points, you know. But when there's a, there's enclaves and barriers on either side of you and, and, and then a car in front of you and like, it really accentuates the speed. I mean, when they show onboard cameras it's interesting, like, going through those swimming pool complex chicanes and stuff, you're like, how, yeah. how are they doing that? First of all, <laughs> like the and, speed of the cars, it's really interesting. Like how, how big a difference that made. Like if you watch MotoGP is in the Portimao, like a week or two before F1 was and yeah. watching, watching MotoGP go around Portimao was, it, it's like a, it was phenomenal for me to watch and the speed that they go. And I mean, they're, I think they're even quicker on the straights to be honest, but yeah, slower in some other areas. And it's, it was almost more interesting to watch. And then watching F1 go around um, when they race at Portimao, the speed almost makes the track just go by. It's like, you know, it's hard to understand what's even going on and when they're going so quickly because the cars have become, so fast there's it just makes it's almost like there's there's less room to do things like you know pass routinely and on um, small circuits like monaco especially yeah but but then that, that gets back into what we were touching on earlier is that that's what makes monaco a different race that's what sets it apart is that yeah. you know, when you have a huge runoff or you know something you can't that the, you know you know all oh, you 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 went off track limits, watch it. You know, like three more times of you doing them for, oh, it's a final warning, you're going to get a black and white flag, your time's going to get deleted, blah, blah, blah. You, Monaco, you'd crash. <laughs> like, you just crash. That's the only way, you, yeah. you know, you and that that part is really cool to me. And that, 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 that fatigue, that mental stamina that you must keep with it. I think the only other uh, race circuit that even comes close is Singapore that has such a physical and emotional and mental load and, and tight twisty street like circuits parts. Um, and then again, is another one of my favorite tracks of the season. 
Um, so I, I know I would be bummed to see it go and change, but I think it is interesting to talk about what, 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 how could we change it and what could we do to make it less processional. And I wonder if the 2022 regs and the tightening up of that pack, because again, this is another race where all the way up to, I think eighth place got lapped. Um, it's like, what's, what's it going to be in that? And that does throw in some some interesting you know okay you have to deal with the traffic that's coming ahead that are slow but they're still also being told to get out of the way but what's going to happen yeah. with like what was it was it perez when hamilton was behind, behind perez because he hadn't been and I'm like where are the blue flags and he's like no nope, he's racing for position like you know <laughs> yeah. i know you're used to lapping everybody but you're actually behind him actually genuinely just behind him um i appreciate the variability of monaco i mean the fact that it could rain one year I mean, oh, rain so and safety cars. Awesome. Because it rained in, in a GP2 race, wasn't it? Or is it the sprint race for GP2? Where, I don't know. I just it was remember like, that it was big like rain pouring, cloud hanging yeah. over the track. It was pouring down race, uh, or, or, or as I also, it was like the day after it rained as well. <laughs> yeah. But, I, but I mean, I, I guess that is speaking to the, to the overall, dis, like, that when there's not a safety car, a crash or rain, it ends up being a pretty boring race. I think those are all signs that, like, it could be reworked, and it is worth discussing, but it never will be. Whoops, excuse me. Sorry if you all heard that. Um, but, yeah, I still think, all in all, like you said, like, this is, I mean, I've only had a couple of race re recap episodes, but this is definitely one of the longest episodes we've ever had, and clearly there's there was a lot to talk about. Um, so it does warrant a pretty, it does usually give us something interesting. I just don't think it's usually the race. <laughs> it's usually qualifying or the drama that happens in the pits or strategy. But I mean, maybe that is, that is Monaco. That is the, the drama. It's, of the, whole, it's the whole race weekend too. I mean, um, if, just looking around on Instagram, like the weeks leading up to Monaco and how much of like the car world and the racing world sure. and the fan world, and world everything comes together and all the experiences that get shared and talked about and all the cool things that happen outside of the race in Monaco. And even in a world where, you know, I was kind of talking about this earlier, um, Lewis feels like F1 has such a responsibility to shed light on social issues. The fact that we have something that is so, um, wealthy and maybe even just like fun i think absolutely yeah. has a place on the course and it's really to have something so cool i think has just as much place as the uh, shedding light on social issues so yeah totally and, and it does also like it does do a lot for the sport because a lot of eyes see that and want to be a part of that and like you know it's like even if people don't watch formula one they usually watch monaco because it's like a place or go to it if you're wealthy or famous or because it's like a place to maybe yeah. not so much this year because of still coming out of COVID, but you know, there's still quite a few yachts in the Marina and like quite a few famous people in the paddock. And uh, I think, I think it's really cool for that reason as well. And then there's just, you know, like I think like we touched on it, the history, like it's one of the oldest tracks, uh, the longest running, event and formula one and i still look forward to it every year even if the race can Definitely. be quite processional i think 
as we've demonstrated over this, the, the last hour and seven minutes, it does give us quite a bit to talk about in sport. And it does throw us some variety, some curveballs. I mean, we, we probably, who knows, we'll really find out, but it did put Ferrari in a position to, 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 to come back a little bit, to, to, to be relevant, even if it's only for a race. Same for, like we touched on during the episode with uh, Aston Martin Racing, you know, like, it, it, it did shake up the season. It also saw us an overturn in the Constructors and Drivers Championship, uh, both for first place and for third place. Um, so, I mean, well, I'm kind of disproving the fact that it was boring with we had some pretty interesting things happen this season. So, there you I go. Got my, I got my rare Tifosi just pumped in when yeah. Leclerc got on pole. So that was really good. I just turned, I turned everything off after that. I was just, <laughs> I'm just going to bask in this yeah. until, uh, and then, until tomorrow. If anything yeah. bad happens. Well, I think, so I that, think that's a great weekend for me. For yeah. Sure. So we, we asked, <laughs> we asked some questions and didn't answer them, but talked for a really long time and had a good time. So we didn't accomplish anything, but other than talk about formula one, which is the whole point of this podcast anyways. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty good place to end it unless you had anything else you wanted to say. No, can't wait for next year. Can't wait for next week, though. Oh, I know, man. I, I really genuinely like Baku. I think it's a cool track. And there's yeah. some some cool... We've had so many great and interesting things happen at that circuit in years previous, and it's only been on the calendar for, for a couple of years. So uh, it's going to be really cool Same to see, see who and how all that, the low lake, high rake... And I mean, and then there's the whole, you know, Red Bull um, Bendgate or whatever they're calling it with their rear wing. They, they're still going to have that <laughs> advantage coming into the longest straight on the calendar. So I think I think Red Bull is going to be really fast and looking really good. And they're coming off of such a great weekend result. I think that's I think Mac, I, my money's on Max probably for pole. But who knows? Botas may be so furious and he's going to try and claw his way back and. Hamilton's definitely just, I mean, that's just fuel for the fire for him to be behind. I mean, somebody like him, I can't imagine how much fire being bu- being behind adds to that guy's work ethic and desire to win. Yeah. I guess I would say anyone listening to this before Baku, I would I would make an effort to watch that race because it's, it's always a good one. Oh, it's, and man, I who knew that uh, Baku is such a cool city? I like really want to go there now. Yeah, beautiful. Such a such an awesome mix of like old world and new world. Um, yeah, really cool race. Looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and sign off for the for an American's Guide to Formula One. If you enjoyed this episode, give it a thumbs up on whatever platform you're watching it on. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to follow on social media for updated stuff and insight and clips and whatever else I. I can figure out to share that is worth sharing. But thank you, Dan, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Of course. Uh, Probably I look forward to doing it again.